0: We see crosses everywhere, on buildings, upon necklaces, and even in tattoos. But in the first century, the cross was a symbol of power, violence, and death. Decent people never spoke of the cross. This most gruesome death instrument had one purpose, terrifying and torturing Rome's adversaries. For its victims, the cross meant a slow and agonizing death. No one ever came back from the cross. So, what in the world compelled early Christians to embrace it as the most treasured symbol of love? The Bible itself clearly elevates the cross as its most central and core truth, the very power of God, and the only message Christians offer. But why? What is the point of the cross? All right, do me a favor. If you grew up going to church, raise your hand, okay? And then if you did not grow up going to church, raise your hand, okay? And then if you will not raise your hand no matter what I ask, raise your hand. Well, hey, yeah, pretty good. I'll take that. That's right. So, uh, whether you grew up going to church or not, there's these symbols. And if you grew up going to church, you almost kind of become numb to them. You don't even notice them that much anymore. And if you didn't, if you're new to church, you kind of walk in. You you just assume everybody knows. You know what it's all about. So for me, I I like I grew up. I was all I was in the church constantly. I was that kid after the service finding the little communion cups, taking shots of communion cups like it was pledge week at Sunday school. Like I was just down in those things, left and right. Okay, that was a non-church joke. Okay, and... uh, (laughs) And then, you know, I, I entered the teenage years, and I was down with the DC talk. I was, like, all about it, right? You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, all two of you, we, together, let's talk afterwards, right? And, and so, uh, and when I was in college, my buddy Paul, he, he was, he invited this friend commu- from community college, and uh, her, um, he brought her in, and she walks in, and she's like, okay, like, I just got to ask, like, what is the deal with all the crosses? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, that's like, that's like our thing. She's like, I don't know, like, they're everywhere. They're on the stage, and you got one, like, out front on the building, and that girl, like, she's rebel, but she's got a tattoo, and that guy's got the cross necklace, and it's like, it's everywhere, and, like, I didn't know what to say, and she's just like, look, you don't understand. Like, this was like an ancient Roman, like, torture system. Like, this is how they executed people. She'd be like, it it was like if I walked around with a necklace with an electric chair on it. It's weird, like, that you guys, like, put these everywhere. And, like, she kind of has a point, okay? Let Let me explain the cross a little bit. Um, and to get a little context so so it's actually not the Romans who created it the Romans just perfected it previously what, what it was was it was literally just a single pole in the ground and, and and they would sharpen the top and then they would impale people on top of it and then they would just sit there until un, until they died and then, but the Romans said that's too fast and so there, there, there's a couple elements uh, when, when you when you look at it and you look at it so so there's these two posts right so you have the vertical post, which is the stipe. Okay, can you, can you pull that image up for me? Uh, you have the vertical post, which is the stipe, and that would actually stay in the ground. Um, that, that was constantly there, um, and, and they would just reuse that over and over. And then the patabellum, which is the horizontal crossbar, uh, they, would, they would tie it to the men's backs, and they would, they would carry it through the city. They would use these spikes. Spikes would go through the, each hand and the feet. And then the spikes and all the elements were considered more valuable than the people being crucified. So all the spikes and the wood, and it was just constantly reused over and over. They would pull it out and, and, just, and, and move, on, move on to the next person. And, so, um, and, and in fact, it was, so, it was all about shame and pain. It was so brutal that only men were crucified. Uh, they would not crucify women. There's a couple, a, a few small accounts of women being crucified, and they would actually crucify them backwards. They would face the cross because it was so, it was so shameful. And as much as, so there was this infliction of pain, um, of, of exposing the back, of the nails in the hands, the nails in the feet. But that's not what would kill you in crucifixion. What would kill you in crucifixion, it's death by asphyxiation. Uh, the pain was so bad that we actually have created a word um, that it's called of the cross. It's it, it's the word excruciating. So what's the most extreme amount of pain? It, it's excruciating pain, pain. It's of the cross. And so um, what the way it would kill you is it would hold you in such a way that you could breathe in, but you couldn't exhale, okay? And so Um, you would just slowly suffocate to death. Now, in your mind, you knew you were gonna die. And so your mind would say, I want to stop breathing. But the body is created in such a way um, that it will fight to survive no matter the circumstances. And so what would happen is is you have this nail in your feet and these nails in your hands, and you would, um, every time you need to breathe out, your body would push up your, your feet on that nail. And then you would have to turn your elbows in such a way that, you could, that, that your lungs would be able to, to, to exhale. And in that, the, the pain of the nails would just twist over and over in that, in that, in that nerve system in your hands. Absolutely excruciating. Sometimes uh, it, it would last hours, but sometimes it would go up to days that they would hang on that cross, just slowly dying. When they wanted uh, the person to actually die, they would go up, and that's when they would break their legs um, so they could no longer actually Push up. If they wanted to it to extend, they'd actually install like a little, put like a little a piece of wood right behind the legs so that you could push up on on that a little bit. Like this is this is extreme. This is brutal. And yet, early Christians, when Rome used this as the, they would leave these crosses up, and it was the, it was their symbol of tyranny. It was their symbol of terror and intimidation. Yet. From the very beginning, Christians, they took that symbol and they would mark it on their doorposts. They took that symbol and they would, they would see one another and they would put it across their chest. This reminder of what Jesus has done. This reminder of his grace and his goodness. And they hijacked the symbol. They said, this is no longer a symbol of terror and intimidation. This is a symbol of salvation and hope. And this is why we, Today, 2,000 years later, this is why the cross is the central symbol of Christianity. Because it is on the cross where everything changed. And so we're walking through this journey and we're asking the question, what is the point of the cross? Last week, Nolan taught through the concept of Christus Victor, that Jesus on the cross established victory over sin, death, and Satan. If you were here, you know Satan is now the humble bumble, right? Okay, if you were not here, podcast it, it's worth it, right? And so, uh, but to this week, what we're looking at is this idea of justification, that through the cross of Jesus, that he is our justification. So I, I want to explain this word, and I want to explain the doctrine and theology of it, but, but we need to start by going into a courtroom, because it's a judicial word. Um, there there are so many things that God does inside of us to change us, but a ju- justification is an outward declaration that that you have been justified, that you have been set free, that your price has been paid. About six or seven years ago, I entered a courtroom for the first time. It was as a juror Because I was serving for jury duty. And I was like, I'm going to bring my book. I just will sit there for two days. They won't call my name. I was one of the first names called. And I was juror number one, which I was like, that's cool. Like I get to walk in first. It was a murder trial, not just a murder trial. It was a conspiracy to commit murder. The guy was trying to conspire to have a witness killed who was a witness in his other trial. And I was like, get the popcorn, let's go. Like, this is amazing. Like, I'm so fascinated by this until they told me juror number one's the one who reads the verdict while the murderer looks at you. I'm like, all right. So anyway, so, anyways, so here, here, here's the premise of what happened, right? Uh, um, I can talk about it now, the seven years have passed. So, so the, the, we're listening to these audio recordings because uh, they walk us through this guy who committed a murder and there's only one person who witnessed it. And so he's in prison And there's another person in prison who he's trying to convince them to kill this witness. And the way they had a conversation is in this particular prison, the toilet's were, um, they, they didn't have standing water in them, and so they were all connected from different levels, and there was, like, these aluminum, ca- so the, the prisoners could speak to each other through the toilets, and the sound would travel up the different levels, So so he's having this conversation, and the guy he's having the conversation with is, like, hey, this is my opportunity to, like, to You know, to rat this guy out and maybe I can get less time. So they bring an audio recording device, stick it in the toilet, and they record this conversation. So, So you're literally like, it's a trial, and they're like, hey... We're trying to decide if this guy was conspiring to have this witness killed, and then here's an audio recording of him conspiring to have this witness killed. Like, it was a short trial, right? We went in the room. We walked out. I, like, w- looked at him and, like, made sure he wasn't looking at me. We read the verdict, right? It, and, like, it, it was it. But but here, here's what I need you to understand. Like, we just like he faced He stood on trial and everything was exposed. You and I, we will will stand trial for our lives. You you realize this, right? This is what it says in Romans 2. It says, the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. The things that you think no one will ever know about. The things that you think will never be found out or exposed. Like God will will stand before God and it will all be exposed. Psalm 56 says, the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judged. This is who he is. 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You will stand before God one day. I don't care if you believe in him or not. You will stand before God one day, all of your life exposed. And this is what God is like. God is holy and he's righteous and he's just. The, the word holy sometimes means set apart, but it also can be defined as completely dedicated to. Meaning God, he's holy, he's always God. He's completely himself. He will never not be himself. He's righteous. Righteous is its relational language, okay? It, 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 to be righteous means I hold up my end of our relationship that we have. So God, he always is righteous. He always holds up his end. And lastly, he's just, meaning he pays good for good and evil for evil. This is who he is. This is his nature. And so we, we think about this idea of standing before God, and we're like, why, why can't he just like, overlook all these wrongs? Why can't he just look past and be like, ah, oh, that's no big deal? Well, well, one reason he can't is because by definition, it would render him unjust. It would render him unholy. It would render him unrighteous. It'd be a complete contradiction to who he is. But also, a lack of justice is a lack of love, you guys, like, you cannot just ignore, dismiss, and not deal with evil because it is unjust and unloving. Evil exists. Like, imagine somebody coming into your home, tying you up, um, taking all your stuff, killing members of your family, dragging you out, burning your house to the ground. And the police catch them and they take him to court and there's video evidence of everything that he's done and he confesses it and the judge stands there and says, you know what, I'm a loving judge and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you off scot-free. You can just go home. You can go and be, you would stand there, you'd be like, that is not Love. Like, that is wrong. That feels evil. To justify evil feels wrong. Proverbs 17 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. The Lord says, This is not okay. We can't justify the wicked, we can't condemn the righteous. Like, look at our world right now. You guys, evil exists. Like, it's a, have, you, have you been tracking what is going on in Afghanistan right now? That is pure evil. Little girls crying out, saying, the Taliban is coming. Please let me on the plane. This is people's lives. This is what they're facing. They're going from house to house. And they're, they're saying, let me see your cell phone. And they're, and they're scrolling through the phone. And if there's a Bible app, that means they're a Christian and they kill them. They're throwing people off built. This is evil. Do we really want God to just turn his, oblo- oh, no, it's okay. Just, that's not just. My, my grandma, she, she was born, she was a Jew in Czechoslovakia in the early 1900s. Around 1930 to 1940, she was put in a displacement camp with her family. She, the first thing they did was walked up to her and took her earrings, because they were gold earrings, and rather than pull them out of her ears, they ripped them down out of her ears. Little girl. Every day, they would get one meal, they would get a potato. Their family would get one potato. So it was so cold, they would just pass the potato around and warm their hands. So she remembers, she would lay down and put it under her ear. So that was the one time of the day she could feel warmth. And when all the warmth was sucked out of the potato, and it was cold, and they would cut it up and eat it. Ultimately, she never saw her parents or her siblings again. They died in either a displacement camp or a tr- concentration camp. We want to say just overlook that. That's not justice. There is real evil. And a loving God, what does a loving God do? He brings justice to the evil of this world. But, but here's the problem. We want justice for them and mercy for us, right? Right? Like, like, no, 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 God, I want your mercy and I, and I want your grace. And, and, and so the question, and this is what Job asked in the Old Testament. He asked this beautiful question. He says, how can a man be righteous? How can a man be right before God? This is what the doctrine of justification is. It's the answer to that. And here it is. It's that guilty sinners can be declared righteous before God by grace alone through faith alone, because of the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. That is the answer. It's not something being overlooked or forgotten or ignored. It's Jesus paying for our shame. It's Jesus paying our price. It, Paul writes about this in Romans. I want you to look at Romans 3. I'm going to put it on the screen. You can follow along or you can grab your Bible and follow along. Starting in verse 21. This this beautiful overview of justification. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Saying, okay, like the only way to be right is to be perfect. A man went up to Jesus and asked, well, how, can I be, how can I be righteous? And Jesus says, simple, just love God perfectly and love others perfectly. And the man who was a lawyer walked away distraught and discouraged. But this is what Paul is saying. He says, there, there's another way as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. This is judicial language. This is a courtroom scene where we're standing and say, how can we be right? It's by Jesus, by his perfect life, by his sacrifice. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. This is how he can uphold his end of the bargain. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. You guys, this is the good news of the gospel. This is what we build our lives upon. Not our righteous acts. Not us being better than other people. It's the work and person of Jesus Christ. This is why Martin Luther says, this doctrine, talking about justification, is the head and the cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. We are not a church without Jesus dying for us. We are not not a people without placing our faith in Christ. It's not about us trying to do more or strive harder. It's about receiving Christ the free gift of grace through the doctrine of justification. So I want to explain a couple things about justification real quick. First, justification, it's through Jesus alone. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Justification is through, through Jesus alone. To be justified, it means to trust only in the person of Jesus, not in our righteous deeds, not in our acts, not in the things we do. This is the formula, okay? You ready for it? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the formula, over and over and over, nothing. You don't add anything to Jesus. You don't bring anything up. You don't bring your own. No, no. We are justified by Jesus, by grace, through faith, because the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here's the problem. We try to justify ourselves. We try to say, and here's what we do. We do a few things. First, we say like, we justify ourselves by by pointing out the other good things that we did. Okay, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, I I get that I, I, like, I did wrong there, but look at all the other good things that I've done. Like, here they are. They're amazing and they're incredible. Or we try to justify ourselves by talking about how we're not as bad as people around us. Like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, like, I get that I did that, but like, I didn't do that, right? I didn't do what she did. I didn't do what he did. And so, therefore, I'm good when you compare me to that person, like, I, like I'm, I'm righteous, I should be justified, or, we do this a lot too, um, it, it's actually not my fault, here's why I did what I did, I, I'm actually the victim here, and, and, let, me, and let me explain l- l- what this looks like, and, and look, this works, this is our culture to a T, and it works in our culture. Have you noticed this? Like this idea of like other good? Like we, we, anything we do that's even remotely good, we march around and we hold it high like it's a trophy. Look at the things I did. Look at how I voted. Look at the good I'm Here's my sticker. Do you see my sticker? I should, I should get all your kudos. Like I'm justified. I'm good. Or... We, we say, oh, I'm not as bad as that person, but you know what I'm good at? I'm good at pointing how bad they are. Look how good I am at pointing the badness of that bad person. And, 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 and we become justified by how we point out the evil of others or, or victimhood. Oh my goodness. Victim is, victimhood mentality is, is king in our culture right now. Whoever is the biggest victim wins. And, so, and if you're a victim, then it, you, any behavior you do, anything you say, you, you are justified in it. These do not justify us. In our culture, it works. It absolutely works. But when you stand before a holy, righteous, and just God, your self-justification will get you nothing but the punishment that you deserve unless, unless your justification is in the person and work of Jesus. This is the good news. Because Jesus alone could pay the wage. What's the cost of sin? What's the cost of our evil? It says the wages of sin is death. That's the payment. It creates death in relationship. It creates death in life. And the only way to pay that is through eternal separation, eternal death. That's the cost. And by definition, you and I, we cannot pay that. It would take all of eternity for us to pay that back. Yet, Jesus who came to earth fully God, fully man. He's the only one who could. He is the only one who is spotless. He's the only one who is eternal. It is only Jesus who is willing to be our substitutionary sacrifice. And so Jesus alone could pay the wage and he paid it on the cross. This is the beauty of justification. He didn't experience eternal suffering. It was momentary, but he paid an eternal he carried the eternal weight of our sin, and he paid the eternal payment for our sin. And so when we talk about being justified, this is why we look to the cross. It, you can't justify yourself. Like, stop trying. Stop striving after that. Second, this idea of justification, it's the great exchange. Here's what I mean. It says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins it's romans 3 24. so there's this great exchange so what I mean is our sin is put on Jesus on the cross that's what how we uh, that's how we receive forgiveness it's put it 's put upon Jesus forgiveness is brought by Jesus taking our sins and dying for them but how is it brought about it, it's not just our past sins it's past present, and future. I love that in this passage where Paul says, this is how the people of the past were justified. God was looking forward. And what it means is you've been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved, past, present, and future. You have been saved from sin's penalty. Jesus paid the price of sin's penalty on the cross. You're now being saved from sin's power. You realize that? Like you're experiencing freedom, from the power of sin over your life because of Jesus' justification, and one day you will be saved from sin's presence. This is the beauty of it. And so Jesus has taken our sin, but but not only that, like he's given us his righteousness. That's the second part is Christ's righteousness, it's imputed on us. So what that means is not only does, does God look at you and, and not see that, uh, your sin, he sees Jesus' righteousness. It's been gifted to you. When he sees you, he sees his son. Think of it this way, okay? This is a terrible metaphor example, but it's all I got, so just deal with it, right? Okay, so imagine you show up to a party. Like, you get the invite. You're like, this is incredible. Like, I, I'm so honored that I got, you know, invited to this party. And you're like, not looking through the detail details. It's a fall party. And you're just like, you know what? I, like, you just assume it's a costume party. Like, it's late October, you know, maybe the 31st. I don't know, like... And you show up and you're just like, I want to impress everybody. I'm going to dress to the nines in this costume. It's going to be hilarious. And you walk in, open the door, host opens the door, and they're in a tuxedo. It's a black tie event, right? And his wife walks up, she's in a cocktail dress. And you're, you're just literally like, what, like what, what am I about to walk into? Like, this is shame. This is embarrassment. And what they do is they pull you in, into the side room, and they take your clothes and they give you theirs, and you walk up out and you are dressed to the nines, and they walk out and they are wearing your costume. It looks ridiculous. This is what Jesus has done in the great exchange. Terrible example, I get it, right? You walk out of prison, you have your orange jumpsuit, they lost your clothes. Guy comes to pick you up, he's dressed to the nines, says, you can't walk out like that. Gives you his clothes. Takes your orange jumpsuit, puts it on. This is literally what Jesus did. This is the great exchange. He bore our sin so he could put sin to death on the cross, but he didn't just leave it there. He gave us his righteousness. You know what that means? You know what the father sees when he sees you and he looks at you when your faith is in Jesus? He sees the works of his son. Not your your shame, not your sin, not your guilt. This is why this cross is called a scandal. It feels unbelievable because only Jesus could stand before God and say, I've loved you perfectly and I've loved those around me perfectly. Yet he then turns to you and says, if you would put your faith in me, I'm giving my righteousness to you. This is the great exchange of justification. And lastly, justification is God's perfect love on display. This is why the, there's the verse that says there's no greater love than this than he who lay down his life for his friends. Because Jesus laid down his life that you may have his righteousness. It, the, the cross, it demonstrates the loving desire of God to forgive and to heal. That's the story of scripture. It, you read through it, and it's story after story of people just failing miserably. And God saying, I'm gonna pursue. I'm gonna make a way. From the very first sin, Adam and Eve turning against God. He says, but there's a seed who will come, a righteous one, and he's looking forward to Jesus and the promise of Jesus and the the justification that we can have in him. This is why James Denny says, nothing but the cross demonstrates how real is God's love to the sinful and how real the sin of the world is to God because he desires to forgive with compassion, grace, and perfect justice. This is who he is. When I was a, Young kid, probably somewhere eight, nine, ten eleven years old i was a uh, I was a mall rat I don't know if you know what that is, but if you're uh my parents owned a store in a mall, and so they would say we're going to the mall and it would be before the mall would open, and me and my older brother and sister would just like run around the mall like little rats right we were mall rats and we this, the stores weren't even open yet, and we would just like play in the fountain and like run down ramps, and and we got to know different like employees and managers, and certain ones would like let us in and like yeah come, you know come on in. And so I had this I had a favorite store in the mall. Um, it was uh, it was called Pocket Change, and it was my favorite store because it was an arcade. And so I would get in there and, um, you know, I would go in and I'd play these, like, holy righteous Christian games, like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, you know, and, uh, you know, things things like that. And so... Um every once in a while my parents would like give me a quarter or two. It wasn't like a cool hipster, you know, Portland arcade where it's nickels. It was like quarters, you know, ba- ba- back in the 90s. Man, that's like, you know, putting a $5 bill in just to play Mortal Kombat. And uh and so every once in a while they'd give me a quarter and and, and I'd go play and but it was not every time. And so I, um we at my house, we had this we had this thing called the pig. And it was this giant glass pig with like a snout that was made out of cork and it was like vertical and we put all our change in it. So my parents would fill it with change. And they said, hey, if this ever fills up, like we'll take a family trip to Hawaii. And so I got started to, I made this discovery one day. I was like, oh, you know what? They, they don't give me a quarter every day. But if I go to the pig and grab a quarter, like or two, I can play games while we're at the mall. And so I started to do that. Well, that started to take too long because pretty soon the quarters are getting less and less and I'm like sifting through all this, like all these worthless pennies and nickels and dimes, like trying to find the quarter. And um, so what I did one day when my parents were gone is I sifted through and I got all the quarters out and I put them in a pile under my parents' bed so that when they were like, hey, like get in the car, we're going to the mall, I would run into their room, slide into third base, reach under the bed, grab quarters, disperse them through my different pockets so you don't hear them. Yeah, yeah. And some of you guys are like, he's shifty. I don't trust him. <laughs> I saw that look in your eyes, right? And then, and then we go. And then I could go, you know, play my holy, righteous, just games at, 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 at pocket change. Well, one day uh, I'm at home and my dad, he says, hey, Jason, I want you to come here. And he's downstairs and he's at the dining room table And I remember walking down the stairs, and he's sitting there. There's something in front of him. I can't tell what it is, but as I walk closer, I realize it's this giant pile of quarters. And I sit down, and he just says, why was this under my bed? (laughs) You know that moment when when it all catches up to you, and, like, the shame and the guilt, and, like, even this moment where you realize the level of betrayal, And I just, like, as a little boy, I just start crying. Because here's my dad that I love. Here's my dad that provides for me. And I've been stealing from him. And he just looks at me and he's like, why would you do that to me? Like, why would you take from me? And it just crushes me. And so I don't even remember the rest of the conversation. But I remember at one point he looks at me and he just says, I want you to know I forgive you and I'm not going to make you pay me back because you probably never could. And then he takes this pile of quarters and he slides it across the table and he says, you ever need anything, I want you to come ask me because I love you and I will give to you. I have this drawer in my house. And I have a pile of change in it. And every once in a while when I open that drawer, I see that pile. Like I'm reminded of that moment with my dad. I'm reminded of his grace. I'm reminded of his love. I'm reminded of his forgiveness and his goodness. It's a symbol for me. What's the point of the cross? It's a symbol that reminds us of the justification that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a symbol that reminds us that Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. It's a symbol that reminds us that if we would put our faith in him, he gives us his righteousness. And imagine with me, if we let the doctrine of justification be something not just that we understand but that moves from our minds to our hearts. How would that shape our lives? Like, what would that do in us? First, it it would move us from striving to earn acceptance to a place of complete security in Jesus. That's what it would do. Like, are you tired of trying to earn love? Are you tired of trying to earn people's acceptance? Are you tired of feeling insecure and unwanted? Like, Jesus wants you. God loves you. He paid the ultimate price so that you could have relationship with him. That should bring such security to who we are. Who cares what anyone says? Who cares what anyone thinks? Who cares what anyone does? If we are secure eternally in Jesus, we have it all. That is what it moves in a second. You will begin to walk humbly with others through life because you'll stop looking at yourself as the righteous, better one. At least I didn't do that. At least I'm not that sinful. And you'll start to acknowledge and recognize, man, Jesus had to die for me. And my goodness is nothing but rags and tatters and will not buy me freedom. It will not buy me grace. It will not buy me love something that Jesus already purchased, that Jesus already bought. You will begin to walk humbly with others through this life. And third, you will begin to rest in the completed work of Jesus. Jesus' last words on the cross, you know what they were? It is finished. You know what he's saying in that moment? The price has been paid. The sacrifice has been made. And we're striving. And we're trying to fulfill the law. And we're trying to pay back what you could never pay back. Jesus paid it in a moment. Through his perfect, eternal life, he paid the price. And so what are we called to do in this life? Man, to rest in that truth. To walk in that truth. To live in that truth that we are not made righteous by our deeds, that we are made righteous through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, each and every one of us. We will, we will stand before God one day. All our secrets, all our lies, all our sin will be exposed. And we can try to justify ourselves in that moment, but it will get us nowhere. Or we can we say, I have nothing but the person and work of Jesus in which I've put my faith. And in that moment, we will realize that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is the beautiful doctrine of justification. Jesus, may we build our lives upon you and your work. When we see the cross, Would it be this beautiful symbol that draws us back into who you are and your love and your grace and your forgiveness? That you are holy, just, and righteous. And all of that is fulfilled through your sacrifice. Would we be a people of the cross? Would we be secure in the cross? Would we be humble because of the cross? And Lord, would we walk and rest in the completed work. Look, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, today is the day. It's not about doing more or trying harder, not about finding a religion, it's about Jesus and his work. And if you, that's you today, I, I just want you to pray after me, just in your heart and your head. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and that my sin separates me from you and that is a price I could never pay back. But I believe that you came and you died for me. You paid the price of my sin. You were buried, and three days later, you rose again, conquering over sin and death. And so Jesus, I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I'm asking that you take all my my shambles and my broken pieces and that you would be king over all that I have. In Jesus' name, amen.